Thank you, worship team. Good morning, New Hope Church. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan, the lead pastor here, and welcome. Glad you're here. It's Food Truck Sunday. Are you excited? Some of you are like, can we just wrap up the sermon? Let's get out there. And I'm looking out. I can see the food trucks lining up. They're getting all settled. The tables are getting set up. So uh, if you're here and you're thinking, food truck, what are we talking about? Uh, today is Food Truck Sunday. And after this service, immediately, right away, uh, uh, head on out. Lunch will be out there. There's tables. Please plan on sticking around, hanging out together for uh, the afternoon. We'll have a bounce house for the kids going. We've got uh, games. The Gaga Ball for you older ones are out there, ready to go. Thanks for setting that up this morning. Uh, anyway, it's going to be a great time. We're also doing an official bags tournament, I believe, in this space in here. Uh, we've got a bake sale going on. And also, as Dan had mentioned just a few minutes ago, the fill the truck or stuff the truck that's been going on all week. The truck will be backed up and uh, and it'll be open. So there's been some supplies brought, dropped off this morning. So all that will go in. And uh, and then you're going to see what's in the truck. And about noon or so, the team is, is lining up. They're heading out to Florida from the food truck Sunday. So we're going to pray for them and, uh, and send them off and commission them on their uh, 16, I believe, 16-hour journey to Panama City, to the church there, where all the supplies you've been donating is going to go out and help people that were impacted by Hurricane Michael. So well done, New Hope Church. It's going to be a great afternoon. Also, I'm just going to mention this too, since we're just kind of talking about the day. This evening, there's the hymn sing as well. So if you want to be a part of that, it's going to be a special time uh, tonight. So a very great day here. Also, we're starting a brand new sermon series today called Money Matters. And I've been looking for this for a while. Now, if, if you're if you're hearing about this and you're thinking, okay, a sermon series on finances, and the first thing that goes through your mind is you think, okay, this is when the pastor starts to talk about giving. And, and for four weeks now, he's just going to be hitting at every angle possible of give and give more and all that. That's not what this series is about at all. We're going to be talking about what does the Bible have to say about finances in a more holistic way. We're going to get very practical, lots of encouragement, I hope. Hey, where are we at? What's there some adjustments we could make? This is going to take courage. It takes courage to make changes. And I'm, I'm calling, I'm challenging, as they say, double dog daring, I guess, to make potentially some changes. That there's some areas where there's disconnect between how you're managing what God has provided for you and what the Bible says. This is for all of us. This is for me. This is for you. That we would honor God in this area of our lives. Because if you think about it, the Bible has a lot to say about finances. I mean, consider this. Jesus, when he was here and he was, he was uh, teaching and, and ministering to people, only second to the kingdom of God is money. He talked about money more than any other topic except the kingdom of God. It's a big deal. He knew it was a big deal. In fact, Jesus told 39 parables that we have recorded in the New Testament. Parables are stories with a lesson. 11 of the 39 that he told, again, dealt with finances. That's a large percentage. If you took the book of Luke, which is one of the gospel accounts we learn about the life of Jesus, and you took that book and you got all the verses lined up, what you would see is that one out of every seven verses in the gospel of Luke has to deal with finances. It's everywhere. The Bible deals with it because it's a big deal in our lives. It's a big deal in your life. So we want to look at what the scriptures teach about this topic. And we want to line our lives up so that we're honoring God in the area of finances. Now I want to begin with a question this morning. It's a big question both for this morning, but really it's a question that will linger through the entire sermon series. It's one that will continue to come up. If you have your bulletin, a uh, new format, hope you like it. It's on the back side this morning, so you turn it over. And if you're filling in the blanks, here is your first fill in the blank. It's this. First fill in the blank is do you worship your money, or do you worship God with your money? Do you worship your money, or do you worship God with your money? 
That's a big question. And those two ideas are so entirely different, aren't they? I mean, we're talking about two completely different ways of living life. We're talking about two different ways of thinking about whatever it is that's in your bank account or your wallet. Do you worship your money or do you worship God with your money? Now, I need to unpack this a little bit because I think that on the surface of it, the question could be a little confusing. So what do you mean by worship money? If you think about it, all of us worship. You were built to worship. God has designed you to worship. Now, not everybody is religious, but everybody does worship. There will be something or someone that will fill the gap or the cavity in your life that you will give allegiance to. So the idea of worship is one that whatever it is that, is your, that has your heart, that is your number one pursuit in life, that is the thing that grabs your attention and your passions more than anything else, then you would say that's the thing that you worship. Now it could be God, but it could be a lot of other things as well too, couldn't it? It could be things like, like a job. You could worship a job. You could worship a possession. You could worship yourself. You could worship another person. You get the idea. We can fill in the gap in all kinds of different ways of worshiping. John Piper, as you'll see on the screen behind me, uh, he famously said, he's a pastor and author, he says that who you worship is the most important thing about you. And that is so true. Because who you worship and what you worship will begin, you'll become like that in terms of who you worship. And who you worship will begin to shape your priorities, your decisions, the things that are important to you. And the ways you live your life will be impacted directly by who you choose to worship. And so if you plug in something else besides God, that will, be, that will direct how you live your life. It will influence you. Just like if you plug in God as the object of your worship and your affection. And so who you worship, do you worship your money? Or again, do you worship God with your money? I think a strong argument could be made that in our corner of the world, in our culture here, including in Adel, Iowa, that the thing that is probably worshiped above and beyond anything else, you could say is money. You could say money is the biggest object of our affection. That as a culture, that money is the thing that most has our heart, that we most pursue and run after. I mean, we love money, we earn money, we pursue money, we worry about money. It keeps us awake at night. It's the thing that oftentimes has our affection, our heart, and it shapes our life, our priority, and our decisions. And if, you know, it can be for any of us. And some of this can come from a place of, of fear, or it can come from a place of greed. It doesn't matter. Either way, if we're not careful, money can take the place in our heart and life that rightly belong to God. And money can be plugged into that spot if we're not careful. Do you worship money or do you worship God with your money? This is the big question. And in light of where we live and in light of the challenges that we face here as Americans today, we also then can face tension when we read the scriptures. We'll look at a couple of different examples. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, this is where the Ten Commandments are listed. In the Ten Commandments, the very first command, it says this. It says that you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And see, this puts us immediately in a place of tension, doesn't it? Because here we see that, that God says, look, you worship me first and most, and yet in my life, if I look at how I live my life and order my life, prioritize my life, that I'm not so sure God is really at the top. That there could be other things that are more important than God. 
And maybe for you, it's something like this, that Monday through Friday, it's a pursuit of, you know, it's the work, it's the paycheck, it's, it's doing what we do. And, and there's nothing wrong with having work, obviously, and earning a paycheck. That's not what we're saying. But that becomes our focus. And then Saturday's family, and God gets Sunday morning. You see how we can divide up our week? And we say, God, you can get this part, but this other part belongs over here to these pursuits, to this idol, or to this thing that I'm running after and pursuing. If we're not careful, that can happen. But God says he wants all of our hearts all the time. That's the challenge. That's the point of tension here. Or how about the New Testament? If you go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, here's this scripture. Jesus is teaching, and he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. Here's the key. You cannot serve both God and money. But boy, don't we try to prove him wrong on this all the time? I mean, don't we sometimes think that we're maybe the exception to this? That somehow that I can, I can pursue the almighty dollar and all that comes with it, and I can pursue God at the same time. And Jesus says, look, you can't do this. It will not work. You cannot serve two masters. There only gets to be one spot when it comes to your heart and the object of your worship. And the question this morning is, what's there? Is it God? Is it something else that you've plugged in, that I've plugged in? This becomes the challenge. This becomes, again, the point of tension for our own lives. So I want to give us a test this morning. Because the question is, well, how do I know? How do I know if money is the object of my worship? So here's your one question test. You should next fill in the blank. Here's the test. Here it is. It says this. One way to know if money is your master, you always want just a little bit more. You always want just a little bit more. And you get a little bit more, and guess what? You want just a little bit more. And then a little bit more after that, and after that, and it just keeps going. That's one way to tell if money is pulling on and has the strings of your heart. It's in that place of worship for you. So here's the thing. When we worship money, you will always battle discontentment. Always. Because whatever is in your 401k, your bank account, your purse or wallet, whatever that is, cannot provide you security that's lasting or satisfaction. That if that's the place you're looking to find those two things, you will always come up empty. It cannot satisfy in that way. Only the Lord can do that. That becomes the challenge that we all face here. But again, we certainly try to do it differently, don't we? I mean, you think about it. Never has a culture, us, had so much. And yet as a culture dealt with so much discontentment in our lives. I think there's a better way to live. And then Jesus lays out a different way to approach when it comes to finances. This morning what I want to do is I want us to take some time and we're going to talk about the issue of contentment. We're going to talk about the issue of where you're at when it comes to your relationship with what God has provided for you. Your job is to be a manager or a steward of it, but your relationship with it. And if you're in a place of discontentment this morning, this is for you. But here's the thing. If we don't get this one right, if we don't deal with the heart issue first of where we're at in our relationship with our finances, then whatever we talk about the next three weeks, all the specific tools and resources we're going to get into, it's not going to matter much. We've got to get this one right. 
And so my challenge this morning for all of us is that we would mature, grow, be challenged. As I mentioned before, that you do some self-evaluation on where you're at. That as a spouse, if you're married, that you talk it out, that you make some changes in this area first. And on this foundation, we're going to keep building in the coming weeks. So if you would, grab your Bibles, please. And what I want to do this morning is I want to lay out for us three action steps, three things that you can do starting today to help you, to help me grow in the area of contentment. These are very simple, but they're not easy. They're going to be challenging for every single one of us. So you have your bulletin, you can fill in the blank. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can start with 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to begin, or it's obviously on the screen behind me. You can just follow along there as well. So here's number one, first fill in the blank, first action step that you and I can take to grow in the area of contentment. It's this, that we would stop comparing Boy, we do this a lot, don't we? I mean, we're always comparing. We're always sizing up the next person. We're always maybe looking for that person that we think we're superior to. And we're keeping an eye out for that person that we think, well, I don't measure up well to them. We just do this. Paul knew it. You could even say in some scriptures that Paul dealt with it as a people pleaser. He struggled in this area. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Paul talking about this. He says this. He says, we do not dare to classify or here it is, compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. What's Paul saying? He's saying, look, Corinthian church in this case, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play that comparison game. Because when we do that, for starters, we're not being wise. Because as I just mentioned, you're always going to find somebody that you think you're superior to, and you're always going to find somebody who's better than you at something. You always will. I like how Andy Stanley talks about it. He talks about, he called it the land of Ur, but he talked about this idea of the Ur, if you will. Because as you look around, you compare yourself with other people, you will always find somebody, as the slide says, somebody who is happier than you. You will always find somebody skinnier, stronger. How about wealthier, prettier, popularer? Doesn't quite work, but that's okay. You will find somebody who is more successful-er than you. You will find somebody who is in, lives in a house that is big-er and drives a car that is better. You get the idea. The errs are endless. They'll continue on and on and on and on. And every time you play the game, you'll feel defeated. You'll feel like you've lost and you'll have taken your, uh, your eyesight off who God is and what he's provided in your own life in terms of who you are and what he's doing. And now you're playing the comparison game. Andy Stanley, he said this way, and we use this phrase in our family all the time, there's no win in comparison. And so I'll come home and be like, oh, blah, blah, you know, I'll be like whining or something because I'm comparing, and my family can point out to me, hey, there's no win in comparison. Ryan, you play your game. You do what God's called you to do. What, what does God have for you? Kids, Lord, doesn't matter. Anybody coming home, we just try to remind our, each other of this idea. There's no win in comparison. And it's true. We need to stop comparing. We need to get off that game that makes us feel bad, that leaves us feeling defeated. So what are some ways we can do this? Let me offer some suggestions. How about this one? Number one, disconnect for a while from social media. Now, some of you are breaking out into cold sweats right now. I, I can sense it in the room. The world will continue to spin. If you're not on social media, it's okay. But social media is both addictive and it does breed discontent. It is a culture and a location, especially Facebook, those kind of things, of comparison. 
you compare what you know about yourself to everybody else's best picture, best moment, highlight reel that they post on Facebook. And it's easy to compare and to feel defeated. How about this? What catalogs come in the mail to your house? How about Pottery Barn, anybody? You get the Pottery Barn magazine, you look at it, you look at your house, look at the magazine. My house doesn't look like the magazine. And now all of a sudden, I was fine a minute ago, but now since I have the magazine, I'm not okay. Now I need the $10,000 end table because that's going to magically transform the room, right? And so we do this all the time. My encouragement to you is to find that area in your life because I think it's different for all of us where you find yourself playing the comparison game. Identify what that is and then stop. Ask the Lord to help you in that area. Like maybe for you, for example, it's on the job front. And so you're always comparing yourself with the next guy over, the next cubicle, the next guy who got that promotion. And I should be here, but I'm better than that person. And my rank is here. And, and you're just kind of always playing that game. Maybe that's what it is for you. How about this one? Your kids. You ever have that? Parents? You compare your kids to that other family's kids. And you know what your kids are like at night in your house, but their family looks about perfect. And their kids, you know, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And it's always, they're dressed perfectly. Their socks match. Like everything is good, right? And their family and yours, you're like, we just barely get them out the, out, out the door to school on time. And so you, you feel defeated in that area. So, so that could be another area for you. What about clothes? I don't dress like they dress. They dress better than me. Or they drive a better car. Or their TV is bigger than me. You get the idea. It goes on and on. We need to stop comparing. When we do this, it's going to help us in the area of contentment. That's number one. Here's number two. Number two, practice gratitude. Number two, practice gratitude. Something else that we can do. I want to share with you a wise saying. It's not on the slide. It's not even in your bulletin. But here's a wise saying. I want, I'm going to say it twice. I want us to hear this. Because it has to do with the idea of envy. Have you battled with envy before? Envy. Envy is this. Envy is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Isn't that true? Let me say that again. Envy is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life and ignoring God's goodness in your own. We can all struggle with this one. We can. I mean, this is this is just is just challenging. But gratitude is the antidote to help us with this, with this idea of envy, with this idea of discontent. I want to take us back to the Old Testament. You'll see there on the screen behind behind me there, Ecclesiastes chapter six, verse nine. Now King Solomon wrote these words. He wrote them at the end of his life, and here's what he said: As you probably already read, he said this: Enjoy what you have, rather than desiring what you don't have. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. I would encourage you, write that on a three by five card, put it on the fridge, put it in your car, put it in your, per put it somewhere where you're gonna see that over and over again, because this is gonna help us. Now, if you're thinking this morning, well, King Solomon wrote these words, of course the king wrote these words because the king had everything. He was the Bill Gates of his time. There was nothing he didn't have. He was the wealthiest person. So of course he enjoyed what he had. He had everything. But here's the thing. Remember, the discontentment hits all of us, whether you're the king or not. Because Solomon, in his life, he battled discontentment. He had, as one example, he had a spouse, he had a wife. 
and then he had two, and then three, then 10, then 20, and 50, and it goes on and on. King Solomon ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. You talk about never being satisfied. You talk about discontentment. A king who had everything and yet continued to want more. The question is, you know, how much more do you want? The question is, well, how much more is there? I mean, for the king, it was like, I want it all. Let's keep going, keep filling it up. But Solomon wrote these words, as I mentioned, at the end of his life. These words come with a price tag. These are words he wrote after he's living out the repercussions of painful decisions he'd been making all of his life. And so at the end of his life, for him to say these words, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have, you better believe, not only is it inspired scripture from God, but it came in his own life with a price tag. As he recognized in his heart, in the choices he made in life, this was not true of him. And he blew it. Practice gratitude. This is so important to do. That we would be thankful instead of continually longing for what we don't have. So how about this? Because a lot of this is just a mindset shift. Next time you say, as I say often, I hate my car. I hate my car. How about let me, let's be thankful the car started and got you where you want to go. Did you know that if you have a car that runs, that you are in the top 5% wealthy Americans, excuse me, top 5% wealthiest people in the world. If your car starts and runs, you're in the top 5%. That's a mindset shift. God, thank you that I have a car that starts. Or how about this? If you say, say this, I wish I had a better house. Anybody ever said that? Discontent at home. And yet there's a couple guys loading up here going to Florida to deliver goods that you've provided that their homes are either leveled or damaged. They're not living in them. And they would give anything to live in a house maybe like the home you live in. Again, it's perspective. I guess we're comparing again. But there again, perspective and practicing gratitude of a mindset shift. Or the next time you say, say, I'm so busy, my life is crazy of being thankful that God has provided in your life opportunities, whether through church and community and friends and family and children and activities. And it's busy and it's crazy and the days can be long, but yet to say, God, thank you for all that you've blessed, for all that you have provided. It's a mindset shift, an attitude of gratitude, as they say, that, that, that God, you have been so good to us. And so if you're in a place this morning and your life is good, that's good. That's good. It's a gift from God and to tell him, thank you for all the ways he has blessed you. But if you're here this morning and you're in a place and your life is not good and you're struggling and you're hurting and you're facing different challenges, if that's where you're at this morning, there is still reason and opportunity to say thank you and practice gratitude, no matter where you're at. To say, God, thank you that even in the hard times, you're meeting my needs and you're providing. Even in this place where I'm at that I wouldn't choose and I don't want, you're with me and I'm not alone as I walk through it. God, thank you that you are in control, sovereign, and I can trust you completely. And the reason that's important is because that gives me hope for tomorrow, that I'll be okay. That God's going to get me through this one way or another. There's always a reason to practice gratitude. So number one, that we would stop comparing. Number two, that we would practice gratitude. As we think about that building contentment in our life, here's number three, it's this. That we would find contentment, your contentment, in Jesus. Maybe this morning you're thinking, that sounds good, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. What, 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 what are we talking about here? What does this mean? I want to go back and look at Paul. and We're going to go to the book of Philippians. And I want you to listen to what his words, what he said here. You're going to just follow along the screen behind. It says this. 
He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned, and here it is, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul says, look, no matter good times, bad, no matter where you find yourself in life, for him now, he says, look, I have found this secret, the this, this secret sauce, if you will, that, that applied to my life helps me to be content no matter what my circumstances are. Now remember, when Paul wrote these words, he wasn't sitting on a beach somewhere sipping a drink with an umbrella in it. Okay, Paul is in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He is in a dark, damp, smelly, most horrific scenario you could kind of imagine. That's the place he's at. He's in prison, writing these words, highlighting no matter what the circumstances are, good times or in a prison, I've learned the secret to be content. I'm okay. And of course, the question is, the question I'm asking is, maybe you are too, well, what's the secret? Like, that's what I want to know. I want to know what this is and how do I apply this to my life? It's the next verse, verse 13. It's a verse we know very well. It's a verse that pumps us up for sporting events or times in life. But do you know this verse actually deals with the issue of contentment? It's answering the question, what is the secret, as he says here, of being content in any and every situation? Verse 13, Paul says, I can do all of this, meaning I can be content in no matter what my circumstances are. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. That's the answer. That's the key right there. So the secret of contentment is not found in what you have or what you don't have. And it never will be. It never will be. The secret to contentment is always found outside of all of that. It's found placed in Jesus. See, until you find your contentment, your security, and your satisfaction in him alone, you will always battle discontentment with your wallet or your purse. Every single time. Because if it's placed there then the goal is, well, there's always just a little more and a little more after that. But if you place it in Jesus and in him, you are fully satisfied. And in good times or bad, you know that he's on the throne, that he loves you, he has a plan for your life. And that's where you're content. Then you can ride the ups and downs of life. You can ride the pay raises and the pay cuts and job loss. You can ride all those things because it's not where you place your heart your focus, and ultimately your worship. The original question we asked this morning, do you worship money or do you worship God with what he's provided for you? That's our question this morning. That's the key. Stop comparing. Worship team, come on up if you would, please. Stop comparing. That we would practice gratitude. That we would find our contentment first and most in him. That Jesus would be your object of worship and affection in every way. Church, if we get this right, if this is an area that we can work through this week, talk about it. Again, make some changes, make some evaluations, small groups, talk about it in your small group, whatever the case may be. Making some steps in this area is gonna help you help and help me and my family as well, help us grow in the area of honoring God with our finances.
What I want to do is I want to pray for us, but before we do, I want to go back to uh, something I wanted to mention earlier on, and that is uh, coming up this week, actually uh, later tonight, or excuse me, tomorrow morning, New Hope Church is going through, we are going through a transition with our online community called Alexio. Now, many of you use Alexio, you have the app, you use it on your phone, that kind of a thing, and Alexio is being migrated or upgraded, if you will, to a whole new platform. And so tomorrow, we're going to go dark, if you will, and uh, so if you try to go on Alexa and you're like, why isn't it working and you're pushing buttons, it's because it's not supposed to work. Because we're translating, uh, trans migrating all of the data, all the accounts over to the new system. And then on Tuesday, you will get an email from us if we have your contact information. If we don't have your contact information, we won't obviously know how to contact you. You can fill out a connection card for that so we can get you in the system. But you'll get an email that says we're live. It'll, it'll coach you on how to get set up. This is where you can do the church directory uh, is there. So you can keep, keep in touch with one another. This is where you keep up on New Hope events, online giving, all takes place here. As well as on Tuesday, Lord willing, we go live. We will have a rebranded, brand new website. So I'd encourage you to go check out the new New Hope website. It is fantastic. They've done a beautiful job with that. And so a lot of exciting things. So coming up, this is tomorrow. This is Tuesday. You'll get lots of emails and information to get you set up. If all of this is like over the head, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds interesting. Uh, next Sunday and Sunday the 11th, we're going to have the equivalent of the Apple bar, like in the Apple stores in the mall. We're going to have the tech team out in the lobby after every service. And so you just go up and just hand them your phone and walk away and say, help. I don't know what to do, but it sounds fantastic. They will get you set up. They will coach you through everything. Uh, our tech team here at New Hope is amazing. And so I'm just telling you, I'm super excited about this. And I'm telling you, New Hope Church, I, this is where we do our giving. This is where we do our directory. Every week we're on the app. We're on there using it. It is an immensely important and effective tool. So I want to encourage all of you, if you don't have it, to get it and to get it starting this week. Contact the church office. If you have more questions, we want to help you through it. And if you already are using it, recognize you're translating to a brand new one. So exciting week coming up here. Uh, but let me go ahead and let's pray together and then we're going to close with a time of worship. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Father, that we could spend time examining our own heart. Father, of, of looking where we're at in our relationship with what's in our pocketbook. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the courage to self-reflect, that you would help us not to worship our money, to be divided in our worship, to, to think that we could be different than what Jesus said is possible and try to worship our, our money and, and God at the same time, but rather that we would worship you with what you've provided. Father, I'm excited for tonight, today. I'm excited for the next uh, three weeks as we continue to look at what your word says about money. And Father, I pray that you would help us to honor you in this area. We thank you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.